Hello, I'm Curtis Bowers, and this is Agenda Weekly. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. I really appreciate it. Hope you've had a good week. This week, probably many of you saw Tucker Carlson kind of exposing and showing some of the footage from the January 6th incident. And um, I think it's wonderful that that information is getting out to hopefully allow a lot of those people that have been held for over two years to be released when they see what we all knew long ago. It was almost all a very peaceful protest of over a million people that were fed up with what the government was doing. And then a few bad actors from the FBI, Black Lives Matter and Antifa, stirred up a few and they went in and did some vandalism. Um, But anyway, I just, um, I hope he continues down that path. It seemed to me like on Monday he showed a lot of it and was planning on going deeper, but then the rest of the week really just kind of showed a lot of the same things and, and dealt with that one guy, the the QAnon shaman or whatever, um, which was, I, I'm glad he did that. That guy's completely innocent. He didn't do anything. The police were the ones escorting him through the Capitol and he didn't cause any damage to anything. And he's been sitting in prison for over two years. It's it's rotten. And then we saw the Black Lives Matter riots and things and no one's charged. The building that was burned down in Oregon, the federal building, uh, yeah, nobody's charged. They just let them burn it down because they had a right to be mad. Over what? Nothing. <laughs> but the people on January 6th had a right to be mad. Um, they weren't listened to about their concerns about a free and fair election. And so they went there to just let the representatives know they cared about this deeply. And then through the setup of not having police there, having the doors open and not locked during a joint session of Congress, and the vice president is also in there, um, they set it up and then utilize it like they always do. They're masters of deceit. And so, but I was glad to see if some of that get exposed, and I hope it continues to. I hope all the footage is released to the public because I know the public will go through all 41,000 hours where we can identify the FBI agents and exactly what they did and the other undercover agents there and exactly what they did to see the, the totality of the story of the federal government's insurrection on January 6th. But today I'm interviewing Dennis Berent, and he just wrote a book called Endgame. And it covers a lot of very interesting information that we're going to talk about from the transhumanist agenda with the biotechnologies and AI and how COVID was kind of used to lay the framework for this technology and what the future is going to look like if we don't stand against them. But I think you'll really enjoy it. I learned a lot listening to him and and from his book. But uh, thank you again for joining me. Those that are subscribers, thank you so much for doing that. Uh, We might not always mention it, but we are always thankful. And those that aren't subscribers, please consider going to agendaweekly.com and subscribe there where you can get all the resources we provide each week. Dennis Barrett, thank you so much for coming on Agenda Weekly. Thank you for having me. I'm really, really happy to be here. I'm humbled to be here and uh, happy to talk with you today. Good. Well, I'm excited to cover your new book, and I think it has a lot of valuable information that people need to understand to get 
the big picture, which is so important nowadays when there's so much deception out there. Uh, for those watching, another interesting fact that we'll get into more later, but he is the publisher of the New American Magazine, which of course is the one I always recommend people get because uh, the two issues that come each month, if you just read those and nothing else, you would know more than 90% of the people in the world on what's going on and the truth of history and, and reality all around us. So, but I, I appreciate that you're involved in that well as well. Thank you. Well, we have some um, amazing people writing for us, you know, have spent their careers and deep, deep education, PhDs and whatnot, studying these relevant matters in there, but more importantly, passionate about preserving liberty. Uh, and especially under the U.S. Constitution. And I, I don't know that there's anything else quite with that dedication to the Constitution and the, the goal of preserving liberty anywhere in the country being published. So if that's something that's interesting to you and, and means something to you, I think we have a very unique publication that you might want to read. Yeah, absolutely. And you do. I, I've read it for at least two decades, and it's made a huge difference in my life of really understanding what's going on behind the scenes and the truth of things. So no, it's so valuable. Well, your new book is called Endgame, COVID and the Dark State Quest for Biodigital Convergence in a Transhumanist World. Now yeah. that's a mouthful, but we've just yeah. lived through a mouthful the last three years, yes. haven't we? <laughs> we sure have. The, the oh. book wouldn't exist without those last three years. I mean, a lot of the trends that the book talks about are certainly predating the last three years, but I don't think, uh, the teeth that are in those trends were first bared in those last three years. That's right. No, it's they they utilize that in a very powerful way to further their agenda of, of taking ground, and, and they did it very successfully. Why don't you, before you get into the end game, what is it and, and where did it start and where did it come from? Some of the terms, just in case people are not sure what they mean, um, even, you know, biodigital, uh, AI, transhumanism, yeah. some of those, just define some of the terms in case they've heard yeah. them, but don't really know what they're talking about. A couple of them are synonymous. So you mentioned transhumanism. Transhumanism is the movement, which uh, is much older than most people think. Uh, but transhumanism is the movement to transcend and transform biological humanity as we've always had it and as it is into something else. Uh, the next synonym to that, which kind of tells you uh, what it really means, is biodigital convergence, which is not a term that I've come up with. That's a term uh, used in that particular industry, so-called, and uh, took center stage in a Canadian government report on the future of biodigital convergence that was published just a couple of years ago. And what that tells you about transhumanism is it's a merger of biology, human biology, as the case may be, with technology to create something new, something that's no longer human, is transhuman. And it's transformed from what is in the current, you know, our current human nature, our current human biology into something else. And uh, if you really think about it, if you want to get really disturbed, what you're talking about, if you're transforming the human into something else, you're making what currently is human obsolete. And what do you do with things that are obsolete? And that is the key question to keep in mind when you start thinking about these issues. And I'd say for anyone who wishes to read Endgame, that's the key question you should have in mind. If you're if you're talking about making humans obsolete because you're transforming them to something new, well, what does that mean for those obsolete humans? That's right. Very key question. A totally key question. That's this whole move is to make us all obsolete, and in its uh, it's disturbing for sure. So maybe start by just tell us what 
what made you realize something was going on with this, what you saw the last three years and, and what, and then kind of even go into the history that what, what, what if, what had you been studying and publishing and stuff that led you to realize, wait a minute, this is not, there's something wrong here with this right. whole COVID pandemic. Well, in, in my work, there's both proximate and distal causes, if you will, if you take, take some terms out of biology. Um, the proximate cause was over the last few years before coming to the magazine, the new American to work as publisher, I was working as a freelance uh, writer and I focused pretty often on not exclusively, but often on scientific reporting and scientific journalism and, uh, among other things. But that's one of the key areas that I've worked in. I've, I've been working in applied sciences for quite a number of years. And one of the, uh, things I started to research was right away in December, 2019, uh, because of the nature of the work I was doing outside uh, in, in a third-party company at that point was to pay attention to technology trends and scientific development trends. And immediately at the beginning of December 2019, when most people had no idea and had never heard of Wuhan, I started getting trickling in information about this mysterious disease taking place in the city of Wuhan. And I started looking into what was going on there. And uh, by January, I was talking to the editor-in-chief of the New American Magazine. I said, uh, you know, hey, have you heard, are you aware of anything that's happening in China? And he had no idea with regard to the, the virus, the disease, anything like that. And I said, this is going to be a really big deal. And, and he, at that point, commissioned me. He said, you go ahead and cover it to the nth degree for the New American Magazine. Dive in, whatever it takes to cover it. So that's what I did. And so I spent a great deal of the time in that year, 2020, writing about COVID. And it became quite apparent immediately that um, a lot was wrong with what the mainstream was being told about COVID. Um, not only the, the the disease itself and its ramifications, but the treatments, uh, the social means of, of responding to it. Almost everything that we were being told was running completely counter to general historic training for biologists, doctors, uh, you know, scientists in general, uh, safety and health uh, people who work in the sciences. All of it was running counter to everything that everyone had ever known in all the decades coming up to handling a, an emergent disease. And so uh, it became apparent as I did my work that um, uh, we needed to do more of a deep dive. Well, then the distal side of this is, you know, as a person who has degrees in history, I've studied uh, you know, history quite intently for, an, you know, a very long time. So I was aware of historic trends in 20th century American and Great British and European thought that seemed to have some analogs to what we were starting to witness. And those were the early population control uh, plans that developed in the 19th century, which spawned into the adjacency of eugenics, uh, which later came to uh, be matched with uh, early transhumanist thought, which uh, came out of a guy named Julian Huxley, who was at the time in the 1950s, the head of UNESCO, the UN uh, Science and Cultural Organization. Uh, and all of these things merged together and seemed to start to have some ramifications for what was happening with COVID, because many of the most vocal mainstream COVID uh, you know, th you know, thinkers, if you will, the Bill Gateses of the world, others, others like that, uh, Dr. Fauci and whatnot, all seem to have some uh, significant ties or even quite open opinions about things like population control. And uh, this was a bit disquieting to me. And uh, because we were seeing a lot of things that didn't make sense, and we had those ties, I thought, you know, we really need we need to explore that. And that became that became endgame. 
it, it's a thing that we've all lived through. Some people better understand it. But but I, the last three years has been so confusing to so many different people I've talked to. Yeah. And a lot of people that don't even have a clue what's going on. They haven't dug in and studied things, but they know it's just something was just wrong. It felt wrong, and, and we know it was wrong, and we've seen that now. I know Dr. Michael Eden had the same revelation you had going, wait a minute. These people were trained just like I was trained. Yep. <laughs> and they're doing things we were trained not to do or not to say or not to right. – those are not practices. And and so – but I love that, how the truth always comes out. Yeah. Um, they'll hide it. They'll suppress it. They'll censor it. They will do anything they can to stop us from speaking truth. But you must keep speaking it, and you yeah. must keep sharing it with family and friends and those in your circle of influence because when you finally see the truth and you've been told so many lies – it awakens you, but it awakens you in a very special way. It awakens you where then you're kind of mad because you were lied to and you were used and which helps funnel your energy into making a difference, into standing for the truth. That's why don't give up on anybody. Keep giving them the little the magazines. Keep giving them the books and, and keep doing that because many a, a person that's been on their side, believing the lies, whatever, has awakened because someone they know died from the shot or this or that or whatever. And then they became a warrior on our side for the truth. And once that veil was pulled back in one area, all of a sudden they started to see, oh my goodness, I've been lied to about so many things. Um, and that's what this book is about. It's gonna, it's a great tool for you to get where you then you read it a couple of times, you know what's in it, and then you have that information to share but you can give it to the people that like to read and learn and they will go, oh my goodness, I didn't realize this is part of a long agenda, a long history. They were simply using this situation to, to do what they've always been trying to do and what they've always wanted to do. Well, go, go more into that. Just, you know, I guess you could start at the, at the end or whatever you want to work. Just what is their end game? What, from all your study, from what you've seen them trying to do, what is the end game of where they want to take us? And, okay. And yeah. Well, here's what it is. Uh, you know, historically, there's been the idea that humans can be re-engineered through selective breeding to be better than they have been. That's what we call eugenics. That really got a really bad name, and rightly so, because it was evil and resulted in uh, contributions, significant contributions to the worst genocide some of the worst genocides we've ever seen in the 20th century. I mean, the 20th century is the bloodiest century so far. Uh, hopefully the 21st won't build upon that. It's not looking great. Um, but uh, the 20th century was horrific and eugenics had a big role to play in it. And so most people think, oh, that was discredited and eugenics went out the window. Well, it just went underground. But the thought behind it never ceased to animate people who believed in it. And it has now bled into uh, a technological version of eugenics, which the Eugenics is more about the end goal of transforming humans to from what they are to something better. Now, using technology instead of selective breeding, like what you would do with livestock or dogs or whatnot, which is what you know classic eugenicists actually wanted to do. It's incredibly off-putting. Uh, now, it's can we tr can we technologically transform people? So, with that in mind, uh, what we saw during COVID, one of the key things was when we were all forced to stay home. 
uh, there was a select cadre of people who were told, well, they could go to work. And we had terms for that. They were essential workers, but the vast majority of people were not essential workers. There should have been a key that there was something seriously wrong. Now, if you tie that to the whole eugenics to transhumanist movement, and you start looking at what the current transhumanists are saying, what they what they believe, it's not really what they actually can achieve. That doesn't matter. What really matters is what they believe because they act, people act on their beliefs. They don't necessarily act on what they see in front of them, but they act on what they believe will happen in the future. So the transhumanists fully believe that biodigital convergence is going to happen. And by the mid 1990s, most of them were convinced it was imminent and even more so now. So we, we now actually have people predicting, very serious people predicting that we're going to make this transition sometime between 2030 to 2045 and have a term for it. It's called the singularity. And it's the point at which, and this is their definition, I'm just repeating, it's the point at which the technology has changed humanity so much that whatever is the result on the other side of that is so advanced that we can't predict what it is. It's the technological singularity. Something is new that's out there and everything that's gone before it has been made obsolete, which we already talked about a little bit. So if you're going to believe, if you really believe that the technological singularity is achievable and it's going to happen and it's going to happen imminently, then you start to have to think about what do we do with all of these people who are non-essential because we don't need everyone. And of course, there's a lot of propaganda that's been spewed out there for many decades about uh, we need to get rid of the population anyway because we have to save the planet. There's too many people. The earth has a carrying capacity. That's their terminology for it, which you know comes from more specific environments and the carrying capacity of a specific environment for a particular species. They they apply that to the earth as a whole, which is not a it's not a correct application of the terminology. But anyway, that's what they do. And they say the earth's carrying capacity can't support, say, 8 billion humans. So we have to get down to some arbitrary number and various people who you talk to, whether it's Ted Turner or Bill Gates or, you know, there's a whole range of these people will come up with different numbers, which is what they consider the optimum population for the earth's carrying capacity. It could be 500 million people. It could be 2 billion people. Uh, those are kind of common numbers that you hear thrown around. Well, what does that mean? That means out of 8 billion, if that's the population of the planet, we need to get we need to somehow get rid of 6 billion people. Uh, we have 6 billion non-essential people who will not make the transition through the singularity. So if they really firmly believe this, and they certainly talk like they believe this, and I think why not take them at their word that they're serious, that they actually do believe it, then they are going to potentially want to have a means of achieving that end. I mean, they're not just going to want to talk about it. They're going to want to see if they can actually reach their goal. And uh, in context, uh, the hypothesis then that I put in place in Endgame, and I and as I was writing the book, we didn't know yet. We, we, we didn't 100% know what the impact of the mass vaccination campaign with mRNA vaccinations would be. Uh, we did know that there was enough scientific concern from a number of scientists uh, that this is probably going to be dangerous, uh, but we didn't know exactly to the extent. But my hypothesis was, well, if everything that they're saying is what they believe and they really do want to transition to a place where uh, we have a radically reduced population and we have a new population of something post-human, then they're going to need to engineer some way to radically restrict the population. Well, 
could it be that this mRNA vax is it? So this is the hypothesis. And at the time I said, if this purely was a hypothesis, we need to either A, test it or see if it plays out in reality downstream. It was already too late. The vax was already going in arms. So we now we have a test whether we like it or not. Uh, well, the book's been out for a while. We now actually are starting to see uh, concerning signs that unfortunately it looks like the hypothesis has at least not been uh, it has not been falsified. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's been verified, uh, but probably it's certainly concerning that it hasn't been falsified at this point yet. And I think it's looking, the trends aren't looking great. Uh, and I think all of us have seen all of the reports of uh, young athletes uh, dropping dead um, in ways that never happened before. Um, I have people that I know who passed away under unfortunate and unusual and unexpected circumstances. I doubt that I'm just a minority of one there. I think probably a lot of people have that now. And I think a lot of people are starting to wake up to there being some significant, uh, significant problems out there that the mainstream is trying to cover up and ignore. And like I said, I think it's starting to indicate that the hypothesis and endgame, which has not been falsified, may be really sadly on the road to being uh, verified. Uh, certainly, uh, people like Edward Dowd have uh, made strong uh, claims to the fact that, uh, in fact, we're seeing statistics that show we're seeing exactly what Endgame worried about, which is a mass mass population control measure via these vaccinations. Uh, so that's what has me concerned. That's what had me concerned in the beginning. And again, I wrote it as a hypothesis, and all the book is is setting up that hypothesis. And now we're, you know, without any consent from any of us, we're living in a world where we get to see if that hypothesis is going to be observationally, uh, you know, supported or not. Yeah. And, and with a lot of the data coming out going, hey, there might be a problem. They're just doubling down. No, you need to get your boosters. Young people yeah. need to get it. You need to, it needs to be on the vaccine schedule. It needs to. That's what just shows that where these people are coming from. Because yeah. a well-meaning person that was misguided when they started to see, oh, it's not helping the, the young people or, or the adults. It's not stopping them from transmitting or getting or they would go, oh, this is a failure. Then this doesn't work. But when they right. keep going, no, you know, and yeah, yep. young people, we, a family friend of ours just a week or 10 days ago died, had two massive strokes and they, they're healthy. And they're, I was like, and they had taken the shot because of work. And I'm like, yep. I, I know that's what it was. You did this. That doesn't happen right. when you're healthy, you've taken care of yourself. That's very rare. It might some extreme case, but it's happening so regularly and so often. Um, it's shocking. That, yeah, no, it is. And it's but again, as you as you dig in and study some of you watching this, might it's, it's kind of hard to accept that at first because it, it is because you think, how could people be so evil? And it is hard to comprehend when you're not that way yourself. You're thinking, I wouldn't want to hurt someone else. I wouldn't want to do this, but I'm telling you, the conspiracy of history, the agenda that's that we've been living in the last hundred years, as you study it, um, like Dennis was saying, one of their number one goals is to cut human population. So yeah. when, you, when they say that, they tell you that. We didn't say, I think your goal is to cut human population. They said, a commandment number one on the Georgia Guidestones, maintain the Earth's population below 500 million. Yeah. When they tell you that over and over, you have to believe them. And so then when you see wars that don't make sense, you see a vaccine rollout that doesn't make sense. You see um, a virus get loose and they're trying to cover up 
how it got loose up. Why would they do that? It seems like you'd want to know where did it come from, but you can't even study. You can't even say what well, might have come out of that lab or whatever. When you see all these inconsistencies, just know people don't do those things when you're not guilty. You don't run uh, when you see a policeman. If you're not guilty, you don't you don't do these things. So that's what's happening. That's what this book talks about. This is all part of a plan, a dark plan, an evil plan by people that have no regard for human life whatsoever. And they've proved that over the last 100 years, like he was talking about the eugenics movement, good old Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood influencing. Largely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so that, that that's where it's at that, you know, these human weeds, we need to get rid of. The problem right. is now they're looking at all of us as human weeds, because they realize with technology, we don't need these people anymore, maybe even to build the products that we can enjoy, or to make us the nice dinners or whatever. They're, they're hoping to rise to the level of being God or pretending to be God, where they decide who lives and dies. They decide everything. They, they are the, they, they define, like you said, that was so shocking to me when it first started. And I didn't know what was going on in March of 2020 or so. But when they started talking about essential and non-essential, that was just a red flag. I go, yeah. something's going on. That's unheard of. Like this business in my town, there was a little harbor store. Oh, you can't. He goes, I can't be open. I go, and Lowe's down the street can be open where 500 people are there at a time. If this was a deadly thing, you don't want 500 people gathering together. You've got two people in here at a time. And I started to realize, okay, this thing is rotten. Uh, But it's again, it's them in that lust for power. What are some other other parts of this that the book gets into that that kind of opens people's eyes to to what we're living through? Yeah, well, a a secondary goal that I had was to reveal to people the level of technology development that, that is actually taking place. Because I think uh, I had a revelation actually while reading a, a book by a scientist. Uh, the scientist is Jennifer Doudna. Jennifer Doudna should be a household name, but I don't know that she is just yet. But she's the she's the discoverer of CRISPR, which is the uh, you know ten years ago she discovered that, maybe twelve years ago now, and that has revolutionized gene editing. Um, and I don't know that most people really realize to the degree that it has. That's quite a substantial discovery. And as I recall reading her book, she wasn't actually seeking to revolutionize genetic modification when she discovered CRISPR. She was investigating um, the ability of uh, microbes to respond to viruses, and she was looking at the genetic basis for that within microbes. So this was something that came out of just basic science where she was trying to understand this. But she made a really important point that I always tell people about when I read this book, and I strongly recommend everybody read her book. It's not that hard to read, and it's not that long. But she pointed out that she goes to work in her lab every day. Uh, She's a mom and has her family, but she goes to work in her lab every day. And she works in this rarefied atmosphere of science on unbelievably sophisticated, advanced scientific uh, practices that are being developed. And then she goes home and she goes to the PTA meetings and kids have school and she lives in her family life. And she says the break between the world of science that she inhabits as a professional science scientist and the world of the average American has become so shockingly big. That gulf, that chasm that's opened up between these two worlds is so shockingly big that it's disturbing, uh, in fact, to contemplate. Now, what's disturbing about it is we're all as Americans, whether we're in the scientific side of it or not, we're all going to be subject to and feel the repercussions of the scientific development that's going on. So what I wanted to do also as a secondary uh, goal of the book was to describe some of these really important scientific uh, uh, works that were being undertaken in areas that relate to the movement toward transhumanism. Because 
even though I don't think their beliefs are 100% justified, I, I, I maintain that they their beliefs are important for us to keep in mind because they will act on their beliefs. But there are technologies and there is development in these technologies that underscores why they have these beliefs. So I wanted people to be aware of what those technologies were. And often we silo them. We say, well, this development is taking place in telecommunications and this development is taking place in AI and this development is taking place in nanotechnology and they're silos that never the twain shall meet. Uh, but the fact is they're all interwoven, they're all important, and they all play a role in the transhumanist ideation of a world of something that comes after humanity, a post-humanity. And the book puts all of those pieces together and ties these technologies together in a way that I hope lets people see the vision for why the great rich oligarch class uh, that is on the transhumanist bandwagon sees the world the way they do. And I think it's important for all of us to be informed about these things because uh, otherwise we are going to be subject to them and we're not going to have any control of our, over our fate. Uh, but if we know what's taking place, then we can more intelligently engage with it, uh, whether it be through uh, legislators and our friends and family, uh, local people. Uh, we can spread the word about this and we can intelligently control how we are exposed to it and what that fate develops into. Otherwise, we're just passive recipients of what's coming down the pike next. And uh, I can tell you, if, as long as we remain passive recipients, we aren't going to have a choice as to how do we deal with the vision for the world that these people are otherwise attempting to fasten onto us. And of course, we see that in a lot of areas now, whether that's ESG investing, critical race theory in the schools. I mean, most people haven't had the chance to uh, encounter these things until they were fastened upon them and became real in their everyday world. And we see the turmoil that's causing now. If people had been aware ahead of time, then these things could have been moderated accordingly. So I want that to be the case with these scientific matters, which fundamentally uh, offer to transform the world either in many, many good ways, if they're managed correctly and employed correctly and implemented correctly and commercialized in a normal American way, or they have the fundamental ability to be uh, transformative in demonically evil ways, which would you know really upend everyone's lives. And I'm not talking about hundred years from now, we're not talking about science fiction in the 23rd century. We're talking about five to 10 years from now. Uh, we're talking about things that are in laboratories today. We're talking about, for instance, NTT Docomo, which most Americans haven't heard of, but is a lot the large telecommunications company in Japan. It's Japan's telecommunications firm. It's AT&T of Japan. They are, for instance, one of the key participants in the development of standard operating procedures for technology development in wireless communication standards, which you'll know as say 4G, 4G LTE, 5G. Uh, they're currently working, you know, 5G is implemented, it's here. They're working on 6G. 6G is coming in 2030 or thereabouts. And in NTT Docomo's own documentation, white papers that they provide, they, uh, and I'm, I'm gonna paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me to quote from, but you can go find it. I've got links to it, for instance. They say specifically that 6G, will be the necessary technology to link, uh, you know, to make biodigital conversions possible because you need to have bandwidth and speed to connect the data at the biological level of the individual to the network. So you've got to have that intermediary in between. Currently, current technologies, 5G doesn't quite do it. It's not fast enough. It doesn't have enough bandwidth. 6G is where it's at. Biodigital convergence follows 6G and that's coming in 2030. 
So these companies are working on it unbeknownst to everyone else. And yet this is what's happening and it's going to impact everyone. So I just want people to know about that. And that was a secondary aspect of the book. Yeah, no, it's so, so important. And because it's so much easier just to live in our nice little world and not think this is going to affect us, but it is, it's going to affect all of us. That's why you have to be up on it. You have to be aware of it. And the thing that bothers me the most is as we've lost the Judeo-Christian foundation stones where then science doesn't feel this moral obligation to fear God in the midst of their advancements or whatever. Anything's possible. I just know right now uh, all over the world, the type of experiments that are doing, they're doing and being done are just evil. I just know that because the heart of man, once God's out of the situation, you'll do whatever you can do to see what you can create or what you can come up with. And so it's, it's sickening, but that's again why we, we, we got to get the book. We have to read, we have to understand, we have to teach others because yes, advancements in technology can be helpful to mankind, but they also can be detrimental. And I think most all the ones forthcoming are going to be on the detrimental side because yeah. man is doing it now for power and control. He's not doing, he's not inventing the light bulb so we can have light in our homes without having right. to have fire and, and things like that. That were huge advances for mankind and they were a good thing. Uh, these things now are consuming our time, our mental capacities, they're, they're preoccupying us so we're not watching what's going on. Just as more and more technology, the average person today, the last I saw was eight hours a day on technology. And it's probably higher than that now. I think that was a few years ago I saw that, but you're staring at a screen for eight plus hours a day, the average person. That's not the computer specialist. And, right. and that alone is just deadly because we're losing then the relationship of looking in each other's eyes where you can see the windows of the soul and get to know people and, and see how they're really doing. And so we're losing yeah. relationships with, which isolates us even more. So we're more susceptible to this because right. so by, when you're by yourself, you're like, Oh, what do I do? What do I do? You know, you feel like, Oh, there's nothing I can do. Dennis, I've, I've watched some of their videos and read some of their articles where they seem passionate about, and it makes me laugh as a Christian, about creating eternal life. Tell me what you've seen them talk about and what they think they're going to do in creating eternal life for themselves. Well, you know, uh, that's one of these uh, interesting areas where we have a real break in mindset from you and me and everyone who I would consider to be the, the, the normal American, the normal person, and the oligarch class. And that normal break is we look at that and we say, well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> That's crazy talk. Uh, but those folks, uh, they are signaling that it's not crazy talk to them because they're investing quite literally billions of dollars in that research. And when you're investing billions of dollars, and I really mean it, billions of dollars into standing up companies that are hiring scientists and their entire focus for that business that they've created with that those billions of dollars investment is what's called radical life extension, which is effectively achieving immortality by technological means, which I cover in the book in great detail is literally what they're doing. You know, they're serious. They're not taking it as that's, you know, well, that's crazy. That can't be done. Who would think that? No, they really do think that. And uh, as an example, uh, one of the most well-known companies in the world um, is Google. Uh, 
Uh, Google is, uh, you know, no longer independent of itself. It's owned by uh, Alphabet, Alphabet Inc. And uh, they have had, uh, you know, these scientific moonshot type of uh, uh, projects historically in the past. And one of them uh, is uh, to set up radical life extension research companies, which they have done to the tune of billions of dollars. They're not the only ones. Um, Jeff Bezos has invested in this. Many other billionaires have invested in this uh, to develop these radical life extension uh, practices. Now, what they do is they say, well, as a part of our research, we're going to be able to roll out these various therapies that are going to help people in their, in their advanced age live a better life. But that's not their end state goal. What they really are trying to do is literally radically expand the human life. And typically, uh, you know, as an, as an amalgamation of many of their goals, I'll say that, you know, a lot of them talk about, can we extend life to 200 years or 500 years uh, or more? Uh, and they take this seriously. They really believe it's possible. They're really working on it. They're putting billions of dollars into it, and much of it's in private research, so you can't really check up and see what they're doing. Um, but again, I keep coming back to this. The key point is not whether or not they can achieve it. The key point is that they believe they can achieve it, and if they believe it, it has ramifications. So let's say you do believe you can achieve essentially immortality, even if it's 500 year lifespans for the human race. Well, and you also then have as a belief that the planet is too radically overpopulated now with natural lifespans. Now, what if you have 8 billion people, each of whom can live 500 years and each of whom has two or three children who are also going to live 500 years and have two or three children. If you're a population control worrier, this is your, uh, this is your nightmare in terms of what you what you see. So this starts to animate their thinking why it's so necessary for them to put in place stringent population control measures. So when you see things like um, if you if you pay a little bit of attention, it's not radically covered in the mainstream news, but you can find mention of this. You can start to see concerns over male infertility crisis, a, a mass male infertility crisis that's been taking place since about 1970, getting worse and worse and worse. And you start to see that a few people are worrying, well, what would this mean for humanity? Could Maybe we aren't going to be able to have replacement value on our population levels. And you, you look at this and be like, oh my gosh, that's a terrible outcome. How could that be? But then you think, you know, this just happens to dovetail with, uh, a hundred years of population control fanaticism and modern era population control fanatics firmly believing that not only is the planet too populated now, but if we can extend lifespans to 500 years or more, we're really going to be in trouble. You know, it begins to look like we have evidence of a crime, uh, frankly. And uh, I think we all need to be aware of this and start paying attention to these things because we're not talking about something academic at this point. We're talking about direct impacts on the life of you, your family, uh, your, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your neighbors. And uh, the most important point of this is the concept of evil. And we might say, and I think you mentioned it already earlier, well, how could anyone be this evil? Well, it's impossible to be that evil. No one would be that evil. But just look back uh, over the last century. In the 20th century, we had repeated genocides where people in the controls of government in various places around the world, just for absolute bloodthirsty reasons, killed tens of millions and ultimately over 100 million people added up uh, through genocide in the 20th century. And you have to admit 
people will engage in that level of evil. And if people engaged in that level of evil historically and the not that distant past, many of us lived through an age when a genocide occurred. I lived through at least two of them that I know of in Rwanda and uh, in Cambodia. Uh, others lived through many more who are older than I am. Uh, that's not that long in the past. It's not ancient history. And if people were able to do it then, were willing to justify doing it then and have all that blood on their hands and kill people needlessly and senselessly and, and uh, you know, you know, these human, humongous crimes against humanity. What makes us think that no one alive today would engage in that level of crime? Um, and I think we have to engage with that seriously. Um, we have to take that as, as under advisement and make, make sure that it never happens again. Now, some people will say, well, we can never have a genocide again. And I think it's just, uh, you know, it's just uh, propaganda speak you know, to look good. But in fact, it happens. It's happened frequently. It's happened in the not too distant past. And we have what looks like a workable hypothesis that has not been falsified that suggests that we may be on the cusp of seeing that level of evil taking place today across the entire world in our own lifetimes and that we may be the victims of it. And uh, we have to grapple with that seriously. Yes. And we were for sure in that pre-treatments were not allowed to be distributed. So we, we, we've just seen a genocide. When the, when the protocol for this virus is remdesivir, which is deadly, every study ever done on it, it kills most of the people, um, and then ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, all these things that are miracle drugs for this type of thing, um, and, and other doctors were actually trying, and hey, it's working. Yeah, it, 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 nobody's going to the hospital, nobody's dying. Um, and they are like, Don't, if you say that, you're losing your license, then you realize, you know, we're already there. And I think the people that watch this Agenda Weekly, uh, folks, I know you know that. It, it's still sobering to us because we're just not like that. And, and we're like, no, I want to love my neighbor. I don't want to right. kill him or hurt him or make him suffer. Or, but they are there. That's who they are. This book goes into the details of that, where you really see that quest they have for this. And it is a lustful quest that I think they are believing their own propaganda because God has given them over to a reprobate mind. You know, right. Yuval Harari makes me laugh because he goes, in 30 years, we'll have eternal life. And I'm like, I'm just Perfect waiting example. for you to download your brain into the machine and you'll find out, even if you can take that information off there, the information is not you because yeah. you have a soul unlike an animal and, and you're because you're made in the image of God and you're priceless in value. And that's why we have to stand against this stuff, people. This is destroying human beings. It's causing them to suffer, to not live as long and, and to be considered uh, non-essential. Every human yeah. being is totally essential and they're perfect just the way they are. God's designed us where we can do things that computers and robots and AI will never be able to do to walk in like a woman can, like my wife can, and sense something's wrong here or whatever, or what's going on, or just, just the intuition God's given us, the ability to look into that eye and see the soul of the person you're communicating with. A machine will never be able to do that. It will never understand those things. So a lot of this is lies by them in hopes they're going to be able to do what they're talking about. They're not going to succeed, but I think the, the slaughter that's going to happen because they try and they try to make man useless and they get they try to make him obsolete um is something we got to stand against um, because it's it's life and human beings are so 
precious in the sight of God and, and to us as well. So, Dennis, what's the best way for people to go get this book? Um, buy the copy or if they're wanting to buy multiple copies, if there's a place where there's a discount or, but anyway, where would they get this book? The best place to get it is shopjbs.org. And there is a quantity discount at shopjbs.org. There's no other place to get a quantity discount. So if you go to shopjbs.org, uh, you can order quantity discounts there, or you can of course order single copies if, if you wish. Um, your, your audience would probably not like to shop on Amazon, but because we need to go where the people are, we also have the book for sale on amazon.com. Of course, there's no quantity discount there. Um, yes. so I don't recommend it. If you want to get extra copies to share with friends and family, please get it at shopjbs.org. Yes. Quantity discount will help you out there. Yes. And, and I, I've got the link below to that too. I'll have that great. there for you. Yeah. So that's the best place. And uh, that's what I'd recommend. And uh, I'm humbled that anyone would consider reading it. I hope it helps you. And, um, you know, I hope it helps you and your friends, actually. Uh, and what I've tried to do, we haven't, we haven't asked, the, we haven't talked about this directly, but just so everyone knows who might be getting the book, uh, I have the book heavily cited. I don't have any fact in the book that, or quote in the book that does not have a citation to the source. And so I hope that becomes a tool that you can use to talk to your friends and neighbors uh, because, you know, I understand that if you were first hearing some of these things, you're going to think they're crazy uh, because it sounds whoo, way out there. It sounds science fiction. Uh, so I've given every citation, uh, every, every link to where the document is that you can go get it yourself and read it yourself. And even if you want to, you know, read the book skeptically, I invite you to do that and investigate those sources yourself and uh, see if your conclusions match the ones in the book. I, you know, maybe a mainstream author would never tell you to do that, but I, I love my fellow people. And I think that uh, you're all great uh, intellects and with the tools that God gave you. So please be skeptical and go out and, and investigate these sources. That'll make you more able to talk to your friends and neighbors and inform them what's happening. And that's what needs to be done. Absolutely. No, it's, um, I appreciate you taking the time and energy to do that. Um, every one of these type of things like this, people, is another tool for you to, in a very easy way, just get some copies and share it with others, wake other people up. That's that's the whole game we're in, is a game for information to spread truth, to dispel the lies. That's what we're about in the New American Tool. I'll have the link below for this. But you, if you haven't subscribed to the New American, it's about five bucks a month, and you get two full-color magazines every month that are just they're just excellent. If you care about truth, you will love them. You'll look forward to them coming in the mail, and we'll have that below. Um, Dennis, again, I just I, I appreciate you. Uh, I'm thankful uh, to be in this battle for truth with you and many others because uh, we're on the winning side of history, even if we have some setbacks in the in the coming years, which we might because we've neglected a lot of our duties for a long time and with our family, with our community, in our churches to make sure we're in churches where the pastor's preaching the truth and not, you know, playing games with that and things. But um, it's anyway, I appreciate any closing comments you'd have for any of us. Well, you know, thank you very much for having me on the show. I want to tell you how much I appreciate you doing that. I'm humbled to be able to be here. And uh, I just want to echo what you said. I'm incredibly optimistic. You know, the book may come across to many people as, wow, look at all these horrific challenges we face and how are we going to succeed in the face of them. But you know what? Uh, God put us here with the tools and capabilities that we have and uh, for a very good reason. And uh, we're here to do our best to work in his name for the greater good. And uh, with that and and behind with that behind us, with God's help and his grace, 
uh, I'm 100% confident. We're in the right place at the right time, doing the right things. And uh, that means success is all but assured. That's right. No, it's a, it's a wonderful, exciting time to be alive because the battle is raging and we're the warriors on the right side. So no, that's good. Well, Dennis, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. It was uh, just a taste of what's in the book, but there's a lot going on and people that have already spent the time researching and investigating, if we take advantage of their knowledge and understanding from all that they've done, um, it allows us to learn quickly and not have to spend all the time they did, uh, you know, figuring out what was really happening behind the scenes. So I uh, hope you'll consider getting a copy of that book. Our verse for this week is Ecclesiastes 12, 13. And of course, King Solomon wrote this. And after he had done everything he wanted to do in life, partook of every sin, every good thing, every bad thing, everything, he said, it was all like chasing the wind. But he said, here, this was his conclusion of, of life after he had done everything you could do. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Sounds kind of simple when you hear it that way, isn't it? Fear God and keep his commandments. That's our entire duty on this earth. And the more we do that, we see the blessings in our life. We see that God rewards those who, who seek him and, and do things his way, because his ways work and the world's ways don't, just like everything talked about today this transhumanism and all this foolishness, um, all those ways will end in death and destruction. But that's where we stand. I hope you have a great weekend. And until next week, God bless you. <music>